We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper. AKA Blender Ed, Blender HD. That's where you find me with the at symbol on Twitter. And this is the show where, uh, what the hell are we going to do today? I don't know. What This is the show where we normally go over yesterday's slate. There wasn't one. And then we talk about today's slate and there isn't one. So uh, so it's kind of just us hanging out, talking about whatever you want to talk about. Kind of like a mailbag edition of the DFS pregame show. But uh, I'm always here live on YouTube Hit that thumbs up button. You see the apple juice here. The apple juice is pretty cold. You have to give me those dummy thumbs to keep it that way throughout the show. Hit the subscribe button if you're new. Uh, hit the notification bell to know when we go live. And I'll be taking your questions from the YouTube chat. Pretty much it's all questions today. Question and answers. I see you guys in the YouTube chat. Zach Hobbs, Mac Mears, Chandler Cannon, Meat Plow, Card Fan, Max Coach, Michael Papadopoulos, Dustin Hogue. Mar Margie Don Easy, Gaz's Army, Gerald Miller, every everything in the chat. So ba- basically, this this show is just it's all chat. If you're here in chat and you have a question, ask it, and I'll talk about it. We may get some stupid questions, right? You know, you know me. There aren't any stupid questions, just stupid people, and there are a lot of stupid people out there that play DFS. But uh, well, we'll start with Michael Papadopoulos. Can he talk about soccer DFS? Oh. Get a soccer question. And if, if you don't know, a lot of people don't realize that that's that's where I started. Like first two or three years of me playing DFS, I was known as the soccer DFS guy. Most people are like, oh, I can't believe you play, oh, you play soccer DFS. It's like, yeah, that's my that's my primary sport, if anything. Uh, I'm always playing now. Now I don't necessarily play all the interleague slates and the smaller stuff and the showdowns anymore uh, because the, uh, the lobby's pretty small. So yeah, there's a lot more money in the major sports. That's why I expanded past soccer, but I do play uh, most of the main uh, Premier League slates, many of the Champions League slates, but I used to play like Europa League. If there was a soccer slate, I played like every soccer slate. 
But uh, in, in soccer, is correlation important? That's what uh, Michael Papadopoulos is asking. Uh, correlation, soccer DFS is, is, is a weird, is, is, is kind of this, it, it's not, I would say it's close to, it's close to NHL. It's a mix between like NHL and I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of weird because on DraftKings, at least FanDuel, the scoring system is really different. Uh, on, on DraftKings, players could get enough peripheral points. There are, there are, you could have enough points in active play with crosses and chances created and shots and fouls drawn that some of those more active players or set piece takers could actually score more than a goal score. A goal counts for 12 points in total, 10 for the goal, one for the shot, one for the shot on goal. But a lot of forwards are what we call goal dependent. Like they don't really do much other than, than get on the end of a cross. Like they, you know, if, if they don't score a goal, a lot of times they end up with one point, two points, something like that. So they, they need, almost need a goal in order to make value while they're, are more active wingers, fullbacks, set piece takers that could rack up eight crosses, three tackles, one, two fouls drawn, two chances created. And they're sitting there with like 10 points, 12 points, 15 points. And they don't have, they don't have a goal. They don't have an assist. They have nothing. So you have, you have that kind of like low variance ish type of player. In addition to in soccer, there there isn't as much scoring in soccer, right? We see slates where there's four games and a grand total of three goals between all four games. So to win a GPP, you're pretty much going to need all three goal scores, right? Assuming it's one's not a substitute or something, because you're typically not, you're rarely ever uh, rostering substitutes. So uh, people compare it to like NHL because the scoring tends to be lower, but it's not as correlative because in NHL, Typically, you, you get two assists on a lot of plays, on a lot of goals, and there are there are distinct lines. So, like, you're going to play, you know, the uh, the first line, the second line, the power play line, and you go, okay, I'm going to play all three guys. I'm going to play four guys from the same line and try to get the goal and the two assists from them. In soccer, it doesn't really work that way. MLS does have a secondary assist, but in, in every, every other league, it's just one assist and... Uh, the the assists aren't as as predictable. It's more likely to come from a set piece taker because it's uh, you know on a set play they're going to be the ones taking the free kick. But in open play, I mean, if they they're through balls through the middle, there are crosses from the wings. So like assists are 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 a much higher variant. Uh, so the the correlation between the goal and assist, I mean, you'd love to get it, but it's kind of hard to pick those guys out because you're probably not going to roster. In soccer, like five guys from the same team on an on a normal size slate, because it's just that the teams don't score that many goals, right? I mean, yes, there are some games that are five nothing, six nothing, and yeah, if you stack that team, you, you're great. But in a game that's the two to one, it's very unlikely that taking five five players from one team is 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 going to get you there in GPPs. So, yeah, most of the points are going to go through two or three players, and you're going to have two guys that are sitting there with two points. So it's less likely that you want to do that. But we also have the fact that not every goal has an assist. I think less than half the goals even have an assist at all. There's a deflection. There's a rebound. You're not, you're not going to see assist on that goal at all. So in correlation-wise in, in soccer, the goal is set. You'd love to see it, 
but I don't think it's it's the at the forefront of your mind. I think the correlations in soccer that you're looking for are uh, defender, goalkeeper, because there's a clean sheet bonus of three points for the defenders and five points for the goalkeeper. So defender plays 60 minutes and the, the, the team doesn't give up any goals. They get an extra three points. And that obviously correlates to the goalkeeper win and clean sheet. So a lot of times in GPP, you'll be correlating defenders and goalkeepers. And then you have the obvious one where you're unlikely to roster uh, attacking players from, from the opposing team, from your goalkeeper, right? If you want your goalkeeper to have 20 points, win clean sheet, five saves. Well, obviously anyone that you roster from the other side of the game is going to have a limited ceiling because they can't score a goal or get an assist or your goalkeeper gets, gets ruined. Right. So those would be the basic correlations in soccer DFS that more, more likely than not, you're going to be pairing a defender with a goalkeeper and you're not going to be playing attackers from the opposing team. Now there are situations where in attacking that there are games, goalkeeper is very high variance. There are games where the goalkeeper gets eight saves, wing clean sheet and a guy from the other side of the game who may be like 4,000 still ends up with 18 points right? Taking six shots and six shots on goal because they get saved. <coughs> Punch a bunch of crosses, chances created. And that guy ends up being optimal anyway. So it's not like a be all end all, but it's less likely. It's very similar to baseball where, you know, you could, you could probably roster one guy against your pitcher. If he's the guy that hits the, the two home runs that the pitcher gives up. Right. And, but the pitcher still has 10 strikeouts and gets the win. Like it's possible, but it's less likely in soccer DFS. So if you are playing soccer DFS, isn't there, there's a two game uh, champions league slate today. The two get the short slates in soccer, just uh, brutal. They're just, especially in cash games. Cause it's like, it's like you're, it's like a one V one. It's like, it, and in soccer, it's like, if you're, if you're luck box, if you get the luck box goal, you win. That's it. End of story. That's why I prefer five, six game slates. Even these three gamers on Saturdays are kind of meh. Right. Once COVID's kind of over and then they, they're able to like play all the games or most of the games at the same time. So they're not spacing it out for TV purposes. I think it'll be a little bit better. So, but if you want to get into soccer DFS, you should sign up for Roto Grinders premium. Hit the link in the description, get $10 off your first month. We've, we've good soccer projections. Uh, we have uh, uh, Sean Newsham and uh, Alex Harden, PSU fans too. And fear my turtle. They're they're two of the best uh, soccer DFS players uh, you know, on draft teams. They're I mean they're 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 on my block list, right? We don't even play each other in head to heads. That's how small the lobby is, right? My ten block list on DK is all it's all DFS soccer, right? Because I post the two fifteens and one oh nines, and you know every Saturday, and it's like I, I I want schmucks to take my games. I don't want the sharpest guys in the lobby. We're already in all the double ups as it is. So, so if you want to sign up to Roto Grinders Premium, the soccer chat uh, is always is always going. Uh, Sean and Alex are always in there answering questions. I'm in there every once in a while, right? It's it's I'm I'm not in charge of the soccer stuff or anything. So, so I'm there just as a I'm playing today. Oh, okay, whatever. Uh, okay, going through the YouTube chat. Yes, Stephen Martin, you do lose points for a yellow card. Yes, you do. Uh uh, Kai Roach says, watch the show yesterday. You mentioned you don't need to watch MMA to play DFS, but I would say that the Vegas odds are frequently way off. Like Megan Anderson wins maybe one fight in a thousand off of Amanda. No, nah, 
Really? You think so? That has a, a 0.1% chance? You'll know, you'll know, you, you, you don't care about the actual odds. You care about the relative odds. I know on that slate, when, when Amanda Nunes is a minus 950 favorite, the next biggest favorite, I think that slate was like minus 350. So like, what do I need to know? All I'm doing is rostering. I have to, I only, I have to roster six, six fighters out of 15 fights out of 30 fighters. So like, yes, she's the biggest favorite and here's the next biggest favorite and whatever. So like, to me, the actual odds don't matter as much. I still have to roster six fighters no matter what. I don't know why she was that. I, I didn't have any, I played 65 lineups. I had zero Megan Anderson, but we've seen weird stuff in MMA. Dude, we've seen weird stuff. Maybe not. Maybe it wasn't going to happen in that fight. Uh, honestly, I think maybe Amanda Nunes should have been like 10-5 on that slate. Uh, but they don't make anyone that 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 high. But you see, she didn't even score over 100 points. The problem with Nunes on that slate is that she wins it in a minute. If she doesn't win within a minute, like it's unlikely she's going to like, you, you, you really think that fight was going to go three rounds to decision? No, right? Did uh, did. You're not even sure if it's going to get to the second round, but are they going to be in, are they going to be enough strikes? Are they going to be enough other points being scored that the 90 plus whatever ends up being enough points for 9,600? That was more of the question with uh, Nunez on Saturday. It was not whether or not she was going to win, right? It would be a humongous upset if she lost, but we've seen those upsets before. We've seen it before. I played during COVID all the time. You know, there was one guy that was like a minus 800 favorite that like lost in 30 seconds. Because one punch could change the course of an entire fight. So yes, I, I, Megan Anderson was like 8% though. And I'm like, okay. Okay, if you want to do that. I, there, were, there were enough lower owned players, lower owned fighters that weren't like that big of an underdog that taking Megan Anderson at eight. If Megan Anderson was 1% owned, okay, maybe, maybe throw him in a lineup. Maybe it happens, but most likely it doesn't. Uh, let's see. Going through the YouTube chat. This is all YouTube chat questions. So whatever you want to talk about, I'll talk about. Okay, and it'll go as long as as long as it goes. If it ends up being a 20-minute show, then that's your problem. Then you, you screw it up. <laughs> People are talking about tomorrow's NBA slate. Who the hell knows what's going on tomorrow? What are we even talking about it? Dario Rosenstock asks, is there a field size small enough where you should no longer be stacking to the full extent in your MLB NHL lineups? Well, I can't really talk to, about NHL because I don't play it. So I'll, I'll, I'll just talk about MLB. The smaller the slate, it's not a field size issue. It's a slate size issue. The smaller the slate, the uh, the better way to put it is the bigger the slate, the more the more you should be stacking only. The smaller the slate, the less. Doesn't mean you don't, but you're considerate the, the power of correlation goes down. Okay. So understand in MLB, the your ceiling in MLB lineups comes from a team scoring double digit runs, 10 plus runs, 12 plus runs, 15 runs. Okay. And it does happen in baseball. Remember, baseball is not a time in the game. So they could bat six, seven, eight times. If, if, if they're not getting outs, they keep on batting, which means your stack keeps on collecting plate opportunities and points. So if there's if it's a 15-game slate, there's 30 teams on the slate. 
who they're all going to be owned to some extent, right? Some a stack of all the teams are going to be owned to some extent. So one out of as long as one out of those 30 teams scores a whole bunch of runs, that stack wins. That that's going to be the winning GPP in the, the, the five-man stack in DK, or at least the four-man stack is likely to be in the winning GPP lineup. But you have 30 teams that have a chance of doing that. So the likelihood of one out of the 30 putting up enough runs for a five-man stack to win is very high. Now let's say it's a four-game slate. Well, now there's only eight teams. There's less There's less a number of teams that have the opportunity to put up 15 runs, 10 runs, 12 runs, something like that. In a four-game slate, maybe the highest-scoring team only scores seven runs. Maybe the highest-scoring team only scores five runs. If the high-scoring team only scores five runs, you're probably not going to need to stack, right? If it's just like a home run and a couple RBIs or whatever, you may only need two or three players from that team. And because there's less games on the slate, there's less likelihood that one of those teams puts up 10-plus runs. So on a four-game slate, while stacking five-man is still still optimal, that's probably what you're more likely to do. Putting these four three ones and three three twos and stuff together in less correlative lineups has has more of a purpose, more viability, because you're you're betting on the that there being no team on the slate that puts up enough runs that a five man stack gets there. But on these the larger slates, 10, 10 plus games, like you're you're more more likely than not one of those teams is going to put enough runs for for the stack to pay off. You may not know which team it is. But one of those teams will, most likely. You do get, yeah, you do get some 12-game slates where, like, the highest-scoring team only scored six runs. You do get you do get some of them, but it's just less likely. So it's less to me on the field size than the slate size. You're using correlation in baseball, so you, you only have to get one thing right, right? That That's the main reason to do it. Because you do, in, in, in NFL, you stack more in small field contests as it is. You're more likely to game stack <coughs> three plus two in small field contest. Well, you don't have to hit the nuts. You don't have to get the one-offs from every game that put up three touchdowns. So understand the difference between field size and slate size. Okay? Because yes, because we, we see in, in NFL, you go, oh, the smaller field size, you don't need as much correlation. It's like, no, no, you're right. You don't need as much correlation. To, to reach your ceiling, you're actually the more correlation you're building to your lineup actually lowers your ceiling, but it decreases the amount of stuff that you have to get right. And when you're playing against 200 players, not a hundred thousand, like you don't need you don't need the the guy the two percent owned guy that got 37 points in some random game on the slate that he's the only guy in that game that is worth playing. You you could still win a, a small field GPP because that guy is not going to matter. You're not going to need all the one-offs. In the Millie Maker, you're probably going to need it. You're going to need the outlier performances in nearly your entire life. So taking one off here, one off there, one off there is more viable, less correlative, more viable in, in large field contests in NFL. Yet stacking a full game, six guys from a game, four, two types of stacks, you're, you're less likely to do that in large field. Unless obviously the game goes off for 96 points. Yeah, that's gold. But if the game goes over, a game has 55 points in it, 
but you get you capture like almost all the production from the game. You only have to get that one thing right, and you get you know one or two good one-offs, and then you win a 200, 200 entry field contest. So so consider the differences between slate size and field size. They're different. What is what 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 are the chances something happens in a, a larger field, a larger slate size versus a smaller slate size? Two game slate. You're actually almost in NBA. You're almost looking for negative correlation now because now you have to worry about duplication. Let's see. Going through the YouTube chat. Matt Meir says, for MLB projections, does the bat actually give a larger edge over the RG projections for GPPs since they are both using the same projected ownership? Well, ownership projections are different than, than player projections. The difference between the bat and RG projections is that Cardi uses, utilizes a, a, a lot more data. So RG projections are still good, but they're the, if you were to build your own model, like you're more likely to be in line with, with RG projections. It's the, the, the accepted predictive variables go into that, which are good, which, you, which are good around the industry. Car, a, a lot of times from a directional standpoint, the RG projections and the bat projections will be somewhat similar, right? Bad pitcher in cores, the visiting team. I mean, like, well, of course I get to project well, right? I mean, like, yeah, Jacob DeGrom is going to project. Is he going to project for 24 or 22? That's going to be the difference. Is, is, is uh, the, the team that, that the team facing the crappy pitcher, you know, is the cleanup hitter going to project for 9.6? or 9.1 like that that's the difference the bat incorporates a lot more data cardi i mean because that's what pretty much cardi does full-time is analyzing data he has the bat x now which includes all the stat cast data and he's and he's and he's been at he's been at modeling in baseball for a long time so you just get a lot more variables so a lot of times the bat from a directional standpoint is going to be similar to the industry but they're they're going to be outliers. I, I I especially find it true when it comes to pitching. That a lot a lot of the models around the industry uh, don't have as nearly as many variables, uh, and and back taste tested you know the weight back testing, you know, and the regression that that Cardi does, and it affects I think pitching more than anything. There are a lot of times that you go into a slate, and the pitching projections are significantly enough different from around the industry or even the RG projections of like this $6,800 pitcher that is projecting for like 11 points in RG projections. Like Cardi will have it like 15 and a half and go like, no, no, this, this, this pitcher is in a much better spot based on all the data that he has, that he's analyzing. And and sometimes you're getting those pitchers for like 6% owned, right? So a lot of people that have been using the bat for a long time know that like, SP2, those SP2 types, right? Like, it's just amazing sometimes. Like, over the long run, over the 162-game season, like, you, you're going to show a profit just off the, the SP2s or which SP1 to fade, right? It's like, oh, everyone, this guy's going to be popular. He's, you know, it's 10-7, Aaron Nola or something like that. And for some reason, based on Cardi's data, it's like the $9,800 pitcher that's like, eh, whatever, like actually projects better than what's going to be the higher owned like 10-7 pitcher. And then 
Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it, it, it's a projection. It's a range of outcomes. It's not like it's guaranteed or anything. But I've used the bat for three years, and over the course of a full season, like those pitching projections are, because you get a lot of times you're 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 becoming contrarian just by the basis of your projections. Hitters on the other end, I mean, the hitters are hitters. But I mean, that's variant as it is. But I mean, but, that, but that's the main reason I use the bat because a, a lot of extra variables. You can still be fine with the RG projections. You can absolutely be fine. A lot of MLB is just stacking and praying. Okay, I'm t- I'm telling you the truth in GBBs. Going who who is everyone playing? How can I play the fourth popular team? Right? How can I play? What team is being twelfth in ownership, but really has the five fifth best chance of being the top scoring team? We have Slate IQ at uh, at Roto Grinders for premium, and I use that heavily for baseball. It's not as useful for NBA. It's not as useful for a, a less correlative sport, but for a correlative sport like uh, like MLB, I mean that's I mean that's to me that's all I need. I mean truthfully, I could use the bat or or whatever projections, and and slate IQ, and I, that's it. That's all I need. Right? It'll say I'll say oh, that the, the the Dodgers have an eight point eight percent chance of being the top the top stack. And they're going to be owned 15%. And I'm like, okay, they're going to be over-owned, right? Let's see how I can get that. And then you look, you, how do you get different? You see, you know, the, the, the Milwaukee Brewers are 4.2% chance of being the top stack, but they're going to be owned like 1.4%. It's like, okay, there's there's the team I'm playing today, right? And there you go from there. So to me, like baseball, baseball is, a, to me, a lot, a lot more game theory than basketball. Because of the correlation, because of the correlation and leverage almost matters more than the projections because it's such a variance, it's a high variance sport. Get four or five at bats, whoops, up, ground out, fly ball at the warning track, caught. You know, that could have been a home run, but it wasn't. Didn't go the extra two or three feet. And now you guys sitting there with zero. That happens every day. Rob B. asked, does the World Cup have DFS? Yeah, we had the World Cup, uh, what, two years ago, three years, two, two or three years ago? Popular, yeah. When the World Cup comes around, I yet. I mean, that year in 2018, I didn't even play baseball. I didn't play MLB DFS because I was concentrating on World Cup. That World Cup goes on for like six, seven weeks, and they play every day, different groups every day. So, like, like screw baseball. I'm playing soccer. Yaz's army says in golf DFS, it seems like getting all six golfers through is paramount. You obviously. Would you say projections are not as important to use to define the winners, but to use to try to get all six golfers through? I, I guess you could. A lot of times you could look, you could look at, at, at betting odds. I mean, the, 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 the sportsbook odds, because you could look at not just to win, like to top five, to top 10, to top 20. We have PGA projections for that. But the actual median number, the, I, I don't know if it means anything. Like when I when I do play PGA, which is rare now, I don't do the same thing of I'm looking at the median points and adding up. How much median am I sacrificing for ownership? Like the medians to me don't really even matter. The whole thing is like, what's their chance of making the cut and what's their chance of coming in the top five? Right, like that's pretty much it. Right, the the actual scoring, like at the end of the day, if you don't make the cut, it doesn't matter what the median is. Right, it doesn't matter. And then if you make the cut and you come in 62nd place, it really doesn't matter either. 
So it's kind of like, how often are you going to make the cut and how often are you going to come in a top five finish? So that's what I care about more than, than the combined ownership of the, the combined ownership of the lineup matters, but the actual median number, I really don't care that much about. Uh, Josh plays DFS asks, once MLB starts, will you focus on that over NBA? Uh, I don't know what we're going to do during the overlap, but I, it, it will slowly transition to more MLB, right? I'd much rather. I, I, I'm, I'm getting sick of the end of the, the headache of NBA. But yeah, when, like I'm assuming that once once uh, once MLB starts, we'll be more MLB focused than NBA focused because really it only overlaps by about a month. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll talk about NBA also. Like during that month period, we could go over some stuff. But remember, in N- in NBA, remember the show's on at eleven o'clock in the morning. So a lot of times in NBA, what the hell does it matter? We may review yesterday's slate, but talking about the day's slate when we all know that someone's going to be out and this guy's going to be sitting and like, what am I really talking about? Baseball, it, it's easier. Baseball, eleven o'clock in the morning, you'll be like, other than some rare instances of like the pitcher not being known until later in the afternoon or obviously platoons like, you know, is the left league going to bat as a guy day to day batting order wise, you know, like that type of stuff, but that's, isn't as paramount to like, no, we knew, Oh, we can't do anything with the Dodgers until we know if Max Muncy's playing. Like it doesn't. Yeah, sure. It'll affect the team stack size and the positionals and stuff, but it's not the type of thing. Oh, if Muncy's out, that means you got to play all the Dodgers. Like, no, it doesn't work that way in baseball. In basketball, it does. Giannis is out. You got to play all the bucks. You know, that doesn't happen in, in MLB. So that's why I think talking about the the current day slate coming up for this show, I think is going to be a little bit more viable for MLB than it will be for NBA. Even though people still ask NBA questions. Oh, you're playing today. Who knows? Right. We go over some stuff. And most of the time, if you listen five hours later, you'd be like, why were they talking about these guys? No one's rostering them because these three guys are out and now everyone's rostering those guys. Let's see. Through the YouTube chat some more. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. People are asking each other's questions. That's perfectly fine. We just meet. We just, that's what we should do. Just meet. I just sit here and do nothing and you guys answer your own questions. Right, Dario Rosensock is put, putting, you're right. Dario Rosensock is saying, when I said it before about the correlation in MLB, is that in large slates, it's more likely that there's going to be a team that puts up a lot of points, right, a lot of runs. But in a smaller field size, it's less likely that that team may be stacked. So that's what, like, that's why not worrying about the correlation as much. But the problem still comes in there is that in small field contests, if you could get the one thing right, you probably win. So even on even on a large slate of 15 games, 30 teams, yeah, maybe the, the, the 1% owned team that puts up 16 runs, that stack is really not even owned in that contest. So whoever the second highest owned stack, I mean, whoever, the, whoever scored eight runs wins that. And the five man wins that. So like you, you only have to get one thing right in a 200 man, 300 man contest. So it's not the matter. Like I still would not say, well, I'm going to pick one guy here and one batter there and one batter here and one batter. Th-. Like what's the point of that? Just stack a team. 
Maybe you do five one one one, right? You still still three one offs. Maybe you're doing four three one. Maybe you're doing something like that. But even though it's a small field, you still don't want to take one offs. That you still don't want to do that. You have to. You you might as well bet home run parlays at that point if you're going to do that. If you're going to ta- if you can take if you're going to take eight batters. And pretty much to win a GPP, you're going to need like at least double digit points or something out of most of them. Go to a sports book and bet on the home run parlays and parlay them all together. You'll make more money that way. It's much easier to just like, I think this team, the twins are going to score nine plus runs. I'm going to take one, three, four, five, seven or whatever. And you play make multiple iterations of that type of stack. One, two, four, five, eight, and two, three, four, five, six, or whatever the, you want to do if the twins put up nine runs you're probably good in a small field right you don't have to be perfect so there's more value in doing that even though it is a smaller field and it's less likely that that a one percent owned stack that puts up 15 runs kills you you're right but what happens if that stack is a 10 percent owned stack well then you're dead right because enough people are going to have that stack let's go through the youtube chat i always have to scroll down and then up down and up. Talk to someone asking about the bottom of the order stack. Do you, uh, Robbie? Do you find yourself stacking the bottom of the order of chalky teams for leverage? Uh, typically not. I may include a bottom of the order player. Understand that the lower the order that you go, the less plate opportunity expectation there is. So you're purposefully giving yourself less opportunities than other. They're just less plate appearances. I'm more likely to use, utilize a bottom of the order hitter, but not build a bottom of the order stack. So I'm less likely to play, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, right? Five, six, seven, eight, nine. It re- you'll rarely ever see those stacks out of me. I'm more likely to do eight, one, you know, like a one, two, three, four, eight. One, two, three, four, nine. Something like that. Or uh, a three, three, four, five, eight, not three, four, five, seven, eight, or something like that. I'm not going the complete bottom of the order, but it all depends on the pricing and the positions. I'm less likely to do a bottom of the order stack that fills all three outfield spots. Like to me, that's crazy. Uh, Yes, it'll work out every once in a blue moon, but like to just lock yourself out from points from any other game to take less plate appearances in the outfield, which the opportunity cost is always the highest. Like to me, that's, that's stupid. Catchers, middle infielders, give it to me. That's fine. That that's what I'm looking for. I don't mind taking a ninth hitter. That's a second baseman on a slate that doesn't have a weak second baseman. is catchers catchers. I don't even care where they bat in the order. I'm more likely to take, if I'm going to, if I'm going to pay down a catcher, they're more likely to just be part of what, what I don't even care where they bat. We're part of the order. If they're ninth, I don't care. A lot of times catcher is just like a wasteland. Unless you're rostering, you know, Real Muto or Gary Sanchez, or, you know, someone up at the top, you know, Yasmani Grandal, those type of guys. Most of the time it's like, who's the catcher for this team? They're the fifth guy in the stack. Jacob Stallings giving to me, Pirates, the eighth catcher. Who cares at that point? Because the opportunity cost of catcher is low. But in outfield, first base, like I'm less likely to take, you know, like, oh, I'm going to stuck the bottom of the order. And the bottom of the order is two outfielders, a first baseman and a third baseman. It's like, 
I'm just I'm filling spots. I'm getting less plate appearances now, expectation wise, because they're bottom, they're batting further down in the order. Uh I'm getting less plate appearances at the most, at the at the highest scoring positions on average. So why would I want to do that? Second baseman, shortstop, those types of that. Then then we, then we could start talking. I don't mind filling those positions with lower batting order type of hitters. But it's very rare, like Byron Buxton. Like there's there's a perfect guy that I rarely ever roster, right? When he's, he's outfield and batting ninth for the Twins. And say, so, yeah, sometimes he does get there, even batting ninth. But like that's someone that typically I'm not, I'm, they're not, not in any of my lineups. I'm not going to fill an outfield spot. The guy with one less or two less plate appearances from other players in the player pool. I'm more likely. It doesn't mean I never do it. It's just I'm more I'm less likely to do it. Can I sp- speak at all about the upcoming Australian football DFS? I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't even know how it works. The ball is kind of oblong and it bounces and it's a circle and there's field goals on the other two sides of the circle. I don't even know how it's played. It's kind of like rugby, but it's not. Australian rules football. I, I wouldn't know. I have no idea. Look at the projections. I mean, that's, I don't even know how it works. Let's see. Go through the YouTube chat some more. Right. Alex Santi says, says exactly the same. Like bottom of the order in chalk stacks are about as owned as the fifth highest stack or so with the lowest, lower success projection. Right. Right. If you're playing the chalk stack, I mean, you, you, you probably, in order for those bottom of the order hitters to even do well, the top of the order hitters probably do well also. Right, so you're not getting sneaky. You're not like, you know, you're stacking the bottom of the Dodgers order. The Dodgers put up 12 runs. I mean, Bellinger probably got there. Muncie probably got there. Seager probably got there to some extent, right? It's more likely the better hitters in the lineup. So now you're taking, now I'm, I, I don't want those guys. I want the bottom of the guys. And the bottom of the guys are still going to be owned because it's going to be the chalk team. You're still going to get a, a Matt Beatty or, you know, whoever is at the bottom of the order. Enrique Hernandez, that's still going to be even on a large slate. If, if the Dodgers, the Dodgers average ownership is like 15, 17%. Those guys will still be four or 5% owned. So it's not like, they, it's not like they're unowned. So if anything, take the me, take the, take the good players and then throw in, you know, if you can play a five man stack, take, take Bellinger, Muncie, Seager, and then you throw in two guys at the bottom and you go, okay. Or one guy at the bottom. And like, that's good enough. How much leverage do you need, especially on larger slates? Like you don't, you, you, you almost never have to do any type of duplication calculation because it's just, there's, there's so many, you're, you're rostering 10 guys and it's, and it's a 12, 13 game slate. And you're going to have, you know, even your, once you combine the stack together, like you're almost unique there as it is 12% plus 8% plus 6%. I mean, like we're not talking about basketball where, you have 47% on guys and 68% on guys. So you don't have to worry that people get so worried about, Oh, I can't play, can't play any of the chalk. It's like, what are you kidding me? I can make any lineup you want. Uh, Heat nation seven. What is your specific list of elite pitchers you don't stack against? Well, I mean, I don't have a specific list, but it, the reason I don't stack against like the Garrett Coles, the Shane Bieber's, the Justin Verlanders, like those types is that it's very rare that they get they get blown up. To win a GPP, you need to get you need to get blown up. Like give up 10 runs. 
And when they get blown up, even like a Chris Sale, he gets blown up every once in a while. Garrett Cole gets blown up. But what's blown up to them? Giving up six runs? And still striking out a ton of people. So it's not like it's not like the teams are getting tons of base runners. So the stack goes off. It's more the type of thing that it's a walk, it's two walks, and then a three-run homer. And then he strikes out five guys in a row. And then it's a walk, it's a single, and then it's a three-run homer. So it's like, who's getting the points there? Yeah, they scored six runs, eight runs. Not all five. It's going to be like three guys. So it's like stacking against elite pitchers like that tend to be just, it's just not worth it, especially on larger slates. Smaller slates, maybe you can think about it some more. I'm more likely to stack against pitchers that are not as good, or it's still good, good pitchers, but not like elite pitchers. But there's only so many. I mean, this, I mean, how many people we're talking about? 10 pitchers, maybe at most? Everyone else, I don't mind. Like, I don't even mind. I don't mind. I don't even mind stacking against Giolito sometimes. Sometimes his his stuff is off, right? But I'm less likely to because you have more options. Three game slate, okay. Then then it's understandable. When we have 12 game baseball slates, you have 24 pitchers to stack against. Why are you going to stack? Oh well, everyone's playing the Grum, and I'm going to stack against the Grum. Well, you could find the same own type of stack from someone else. No one's paying playing the Tigers because they're horrible. So play them against whoever. Against the middle middle of the road, middle, you know, against John Lester or something. I mean, why not? They're going to be about as owned as 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 the stack against the stud pitcher. So so why bother? There's there's enough options. Jacob Calloway says, what about the nuance of MLB? It's not the nuance, but makes outfield spots have the highest opportunity cost. Is it that the best MLB players play outfield? I don't know if three slots means less cost than third base where there's only one slot. No, there's three. Every every entry, every lineup gets to roster three outfielders. Now on a three, let's let's talk about a 10-game slate to make it even, even type of mathematically. 10-game slate is pretty big. There's 20 teams. Each team has three outfielders. Sometimes they have, there's four outfielders eligible, okay? So on a 10-game slate with 20 teams, there's 60 outfielders to play. There's, on, there's, only, there's only 20 catchers to play, pretty much. There's only 20 third basemen. There's only 20. So out of those 60, you get to roster three of them, okay? when you If, if you roster a first baseman, so let's say you have Paul Goldschmidt, okay? I'm talking about DraftKings. This is not FanDuel. So DraftKings, Paul Goldschmidt, let's, let's put, take three first basemen. Paul Goldschmidt, Freddie Freeman, and a first base only eligible player, uh, Luke Voigt, right? Someone that is only eligible at first base. If each of them hit a home run, if each of them hit, let no, each of them hit two home runs, they each hit two home runs. They're sitting there with 20, 26 points. If you have Paul Goldsmith with 26 points, great. But if I have Freddie Freeman with 26 points, it doesn't matter if I rot. I'm not scared of Paul Goldschmidt anymore. Why? Because no one can roster both of them. No one could possibly roster Freddie Freeman and Paul Goldschmidt. And Luke Voigt has 26 points also. No one could roster all three of them. You're not, no one can win with two of them. They only are eligible in one slot, and you could only play them in one slot. So if all three of them hit to have two home run games, 
As long as I have one of those three, who cares that the other two hit doubled on, right? Outfield is a different story. If Mike Trout hits three home runs and Mookie Bettis hits three home runs and some other, uh, J.D. Martinez hits three home runs, you a lineup could have all three of them in it because you could roster three outfielders and there's 16 to choose from. So the opportunity cost at outfield, getting having an outfielder with zero, with three, there's now 59 other outfielders that other players could have that fit that slot. But then we take a look at catcher, for instance. If no catcher hits a home run on the slate, you could win a GPP with zero in your catcher spot, right? If no one, even if a catcher hits a home run, if they're two, nothing owned, even then you probably don't even need them. So the opportunity cost to catcher is low. Yes, if you have the catcher that hit two home runs, you're probably going to need them. But you can only roster one of them. You don't have to worry. If four catchers hit home runs, well, as long as you have one of those four catchers, you're fine. They each have 14 points. No one could roster two of them. An outfield, that's different. Even the multiple position eligibility, that's different. When a guy's first base and outfield eligible. That's why I didn't mention like Bellinger. Like Bellinger, a lot of times is first base outfield. So now if Bellinger hits two home runs and Goldschmidt hits two home runs and Void hits two home runs and Freddie Freeman hits two home runs, well, you can have one of those other three guys and Cody Bellinger in the outfield, right? So the outfield spot ends up becoming a little bit more of a utility position. So there are lineups that could roster multiple guys like that. But in the single, if once, once guys are only eligible at one slot and you can only fit them in one slot, this is why I say that it's DraftKings only, because remember, FanDuel does have a utility position. So you can roster two first basemen. DraftKings, you can't. So that's why on DraftKings, the opportunity cost at outfield is very high. Because out of the 60 outfielders, if let's say 12 of them hit home runs, 12, let's say 12 of them have at least 15 points, and four of them have over 20 points, you're most likely going to need three. You're going to need all three to win a large field GPP. So filling that outfield spot with the eighth hitter of your stack, that's going to see three plate appearances possibly. And if they don't do it, and they, get, 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 they get a single and a run and they have five points. That, that may not cut it because there's going to be tons of other outfielders. You'd much rather, instead of having that outfielder in that slot, take the cheap catcher and then play a one-off outfielder. Something like that. So that's what I mean by the outfield spots having the high opportunity cost on DraftKings. I hope that's understandable. I think I'm making sense. Kai Roach still, you're asking still about Australian football? Like how do you figure out stacking strategies? Just wait for others to figure it out? No, watch the sport. See how the sport is scored. Figure like, okay, how do the players interact with one another? Is there substitutions? Are there minutes? I mean, I literally don't even know how it's played. I don't know. One guy, one guy passes the ball or runs it this way. Does another guy get points at the same time another guy gets points? Like, you have to figure that out. I have no idea. You have to watch the sport. I don't know. So it's approaching a new sport. Like, I've never, I've never, I've, I've never approached a new sport. Like, every... New sport from the perspective of at least I know how the sport is played. Like, yes, like, like I know, I know before I played NBA DFS, I didn't follow basketball for 20 years. But it's like, I know how the, I know how the game of basketball is played. 
All right. I, I know I know the mechanics of how it of how it's scored, right? Even if you're getting it to soccer, it's like, well, what's the scoring system? What is a cross? What is a chance created? How do players a goal and assist? I mean, like, you still know how soccer works. I, I don't know how Australian football is played, let alone scored. So I had to, to figure out how the sport is even played to begin with. Like even MMA, like, I, yeah, okay, I didn't watch MMA for God knows how long. It's still a matter of, like, who's going to win the fight? <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, most, it's who's going to win the fight? PGA, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna place the highest? Most likely they've gotten the most birdies and eagles and stuff like that. But you know how golf is played. Like, I don't, I don't, like, yeah, I don't follow golf. I have no idea how golf is played. No, I know how golf is played. I want the guy that hits it the furthest and getting and gets in the hole before the before the number of par. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, there you go. How do the golfers relate to one another? They really don't. So I don't have to worry about that. Any other questions before we get out of here? We were able to fill the time. See, we got some questions. Not, 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 we didn't even get stupid questions. This is the smart stream. When I used to, when I do the, during football season, when I do the Saturday streams, whatever, that's the stupid, that's stupid Saturdays. Weekdays now, then we get the smart people in the chat, people helping each other out, people asking questions. Not many, you know, who do I play tonight? What picks? What's going on tomorrow? Who's going to smash? Who knows? Everything has a probability attached to it. Your your job is to put together a little portfolio of players that has the highest probability for the least amount of ownership. There you go. The less people that that's it. That's DFS. That's what it is. But that's why I'm here. I'm here. And you can learn all those types of concepts in my course. Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. How to think like a professional DFS player. 15-hour audio masterclass. It's me in your pocket. So you'll, you'll, you'll just learn. You could reference this anytime you want. See the table of contents here. Game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, psychology, a whole bunch of testimonials. A lot of people have bought it, said good things about it. So go to theoryofdfs.com, pick that up. And maybe maybe you won't have uh, as, as, many, as many questions. They're, they're all answered. It's all in one spot. A lot of the stuff I talk about is, is in the course. It's just a matter. It's now it's all in one place. It's structured. It's like coming to a seminar. It's like if I ran a two day seminar at some, you know, hotel at a Ramada Inn, and I had a little PowerPoint presentation. I had, this is this and that's this. And here's that. Like, that's what that is. So feel free to go pick it up at theory of DFS.com tomorrow. We got a two game slate. So, who knows? Maybe it's just still taking more questions. Two games slate on Wednesday, and then NBA is back in full effect. Uh, the headache known as NBA DFS. But I'll be here helping you out. Like I do every weekday, Monday through Friday, at 11 o'clock in the morning on YouTube. For the Roto Grinders DFS pregame show, which is also found at rotogrinders.com.